And uh, Rimrock in the winter. It's chilly. It feels good, though, I guess. That's why we live in South Dakota, right? Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I uh, hope it's all just peaceful for you as you come this morning. And I, and I really have been praying a lot for you, even though you don't know it, uh, for this uh, message, for God just to speak to you. And uh, as he has spoken to me, and I hope it just uh, comes out of the way, or I get out of the way and it comes out the way he wants it to. Uh, you know, many of you sitting here today or listening are kind of going through life looking for that one big break, right, that's going to just turn your life around. This one big thing that's going to turn your life around, that you know, the key to success, whatever it is, it's going to give you riches or fame or prosperity or, or really even maybe security or significance or power. And of course, some are looking to investments at Wall Street. Some are hoping to have a break in Nashville. Some want to go to Hollywood or maybe Vegas or Deadwood, you know, it depends on your sites. Uh, yeah, maybe Powerball or... You know, some are looking to be professional athletes or, or get this degree that's going to, you know, set you off on a course that's going to allow you to run a certain business. And, and we all have our list, but most of us think um, success kind of comes at us as some life-changing moment and it's some big event. And if I could just have this, this one thing, that would be it. Uh, but to me, it's like the poster, really. It, to me, success is much more of a journey than a destination. And I think it's much more of a process. And so others would come here not looking for that one big event. Some of you come here and think, you know, I've been pretty successful. Uh, my life's pretty good. I'm pretty secure. I mostly kind of got this life figured out. I have my moments, but uh, mostly I feel pretty good about what I've done and where I'm at. And, and so the challenge for you is maybe to try and keep your stuff, to try and keep your security. And you kind of look mostly with satisfaction on the process. There's been highs, there's been lows, there's been ups, there's been downs, but it's brought you here today. And if you define success, really it's the fact of kind of getting or achieving wealth or respect or fame or power, but it's really the accomplishment of a purpose or the accomplishment of an aim. So success is like this accomplishment of an aim. And, and so what's your lack, what's your thing that's missing, what's your purpose, what would make your life a success? What are you aiming for? What is there you still need to do to be a success? And you know, when you get to the end of your life on this earth, what's going to cause you to say, I wish I would have? Um, you know, I've gotten that privilege this last year to really ask those questions, and thankfully I, just, I don't have a lot of those I wished I would have. So I got a lot of mistakes I've made, but a lot of forgiveness along the line by God's grace. And so the question really is like, what would make your life a success? What's your purpose? What are you aiming for? And, and it's not too late, because we all have a story, and it's still being written. We're all still here, right? We all, we're all part of this story. And when you consider your life story, the question I really want you to think about today is are you the central character of your story? You know, is this story about you? Is this story about how the circumstances in your life affect you, the people in your life affect you, everything around you is all about you? Is, is your definition of success based on what you have or what you can get or how it affects you? 
You see, that was me for, for years. That was me. I was all trying to, to kind of have everything about me and I was trying to, to accumulate the things that I thought would make me successful. And you know, we can make it sound good. We can make it sound really good, like, like so good to say, you know, I'm just trying to help someone else succeed. But really, I want them to succeed because that makes me better. It helps me, right? Or, or even I'm just trying to, to make sure that, that God's honor is defended, that, that his glory is defended, that he gets the honor he deserves. And I'm telling you, uh, God doesn't need your help. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, he's quite capable of defending his honor. He's quite capable of getting the glory that he deserves. And so we don't even have to kind of take this idea of saying, oh, I'm just in ministry or I'm just serving or I'm just doing this because, you know, I want to defend God and I want to make sure that those people know what God is really like. God is quite capable of making himself known. Or it can even be like, I want to make sure my kids succeed for my sake, right? So I look good, so I'm not embarrassed or for their sake. Right? I don't want them to have to go through any trials or any hard events. I mean, I, I want them to, to be okay. I want them to kind of be in a bubble. And, and, but it's all about me or about them. Um, maybe we even go across our economy and we want our economy to prosper, okay? Um, because we don't want to have our standard of life messed up, right? We don't want our, our, our assets to be, to be taken or our security and the stuff of this world to be shaken. We like the way things are. So we want the economy to continue to prosper really for my sake, okay? It's, it's kind of about me. And I would say most of the things that we desire are really about me. And we have to stop, and I just challenge you to stop and consider your motives and your actions. Consider your motives and your actions. Because, you know, when you think about it, if you're the, if you're the deciding factor, if you're the central character, then you get to decide what's successful and what's not, right? And so in your story, do you want anybody to be really sick? In your story, do you want anybody you love to really suffer? Do you, do you really want anyone to go through trials? You see, if you're the central character, then success, you know, the, the proper things to aim for are defined by you. And, and that's the way it was for me. I was pursuing these, the stuff of this world and, and trying to define success by what I thought should be success. And I kind of crashed and hit a wall years and years ago. And it, and it totally changed the trajectory of my life. But here's what I want to ask you. What if there is a creator God who is the ultimate? Now you see, I would say that you're here, so you probably believe there's some God who's ultimate. There's some creator right so what if there is a creator God who's ultimate and what if your life and your story is really about him what if he's the one who decides what is success for you what if he's the one who decides what is success for all the other people in your story what if it really is his story and you just have a little bit part you just have a sentence in the novel now everything changes you see, instead of life being all about me and, and my circle of relationships and my stuff and me deciding what's successful and, and me just kind of looking at this almighty God as some distant character who just shows up in my life to screw up my plans. I know that I'm the only one who thinks that, right? You never think that. Uh, we all think that at times. Like, that's what God does, right? I got a plan. I'm hidden on a path. I got an idea of what I should be successful. And God comes in and just knocks the legs out from under me. 
You know, he just screws up my plans all the time. And, and honestly, if we're pursuing things for ourselves, that's what happens because <laughs> he wants us to continue to turn to him. But what if this is really all about Almighty God? Then all of a sudden, my desire is for the author. My desire is for the creator to use me in my sentence however he wants to use me, right? However he likes in whatever way he decides would fulfill my role in his story. And I don't get to decide if he gives me another sentence or not. See, I don't even get to decide really where I enter his story or what my role is. But I can choose to trust him or not. I can choose to follow him or not. I can choose to, to, to go my own way and try and write my own story and write my own role and continue to fight against him. And that's really what I want you to think about as you go through this process. Are you, are you gonna use your time in his story for your sake, for your glory, or for his? What have you decided? You see, he already knows. <laughs> Right? And only he knows. But he knows. It's between you and God. But he knows. He knows exactly the motives of your heart. It's no surprise to him. So, how are you living out your role in God's story? You see, I, I really believe this. And I believe that each one of you has given this, this really personal, wonderful, role in God's story that's designed specifically for you and you fit it perfectly and he has been waiting for a moment just like this to use you in his plan and what if you're created for a moment just like this just like this I think that's the case I think we're here and now's our time to be in the story of God and we have this incredible opportunity to just be a part of his story and now's our chance to kind of be part of it. And we can, we can walk with him and we can see him move. And we're looking at the life of Joseph and, and the story of Joseph and, and my desire, and, and I can't make this happen, but really my desire is that you would see Joseph's life as part of God's story and you would somehow be able to get that for your life and that really you would leave and be able to say, that's my story. Joseph's story is my story, that's my story. Okay, so the very first thing we're going to look at is a success story. If you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 41. And, and you know, we're, we left Joseph, uh, for those of you who are gone, he was in prison, okay, in a dungeon. And so that's where he's been, and, and he really didn't miss anything. He's, he's still there. But we're going to kind of skip ahead and see how this turns out, and then we'll kind of come back and fill in the pieces. So in Genesis chapter 41, verse 39, um, we, we pick up the story, the success story. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, and there's no one so discerning and so wise as you are, you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all the people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and he put a gold necklace around his neck and he had him ride in the second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee and he set Joseph over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said, though I'm Pharaoh, 
Yet without your permission, no one shall raise a hand or his foot in the land of Egypt. Father, I just pray that you would just make this real to us in our lives at this moment and that we would be able to see the truth that Jesus Christ is written all over the story, even though he's not mentioned in it by name. And that for us personally, it would become our story. And I pray that that would just become clear to each person here by your power and your spirit. Thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. So here's Joseph in the dungeon, and his day probably started like most of the other days in prison. Remember, he's been there several years by now, probably pretty boring, right? And probably maybe like your day started today, pretty normal. Uh, maybe it was chaos, maybe it was normal, maybe it was peaceful, but you know, it's a, it's a day. And he had been in prison for a long time, and, and just think what a change in this guy's life. It's like, whoa. He goes from this favored son to the slave to Potiphar's house to prison to now like the prime minister of Egypt. Just in a matter of 13 years, from the time he's 17 years old till the time he's 30 years old. And it's natural for us when these big life changes kind of come at us, you know, we're so used to kind of having this be all about us and our story. So if we perceive these life changes to come at us as being a negative or making our life worse, then we kind of feel like God's ditched us, right? That God's kind of abandoned us. God's turned his, his back on us. God's against us for some reason. And on the other side, if all of a sudden these big life changes come in and, and it's great, we think it's our opportunity now to ditch God, even though we don't say that. But you know what? Really, we do. We kind of say, oh, I sure worked hard and I sure earned this and I sure deserve this. Now I'm going to just enjoy the fruit of my labor. And it's kind of all about me still. And that's really what happens to us. I really believe we're all going through adversity trials and prosperity trials, often at the same time in different areas of our lives. And we all want the prosperity trials, right? We all want it. Give me the prosperity. Give me the prosperity. But the truth is, most all of us fail at prosperity trials. Because during prosperity, we tend to look at the stuff rather than look to our God. And you can see a picture of it in America. We're so prosperous. How's it look for our walk with God as a nation? Uh, so often, this prosperity trials leads us to count on ourselves and just reinforces that this is all about me. Now, none of us really want to sign up for adversity trials. And yet most of the time in our lives, we can look back at those times when we had this real adversity and see that was really a time we got to know God. We got to depend on God because there's nothing else, right? We need him. And so often the adversity trials are really the things that draw us close to God. And some people can do well in prosperity trials. Some people do well in adversity trials. But just know that, that those things are happening and just kind of be aware of that. It both really give us an opportunity to thank God and to count on God. Uh, and it's just a personal journey with you and your God. So, so just consider, here's Joseph, been in prison, he's 30 years old. He gets cruising down the street in this fancy chariot and everyone's bowing the knees before him. Now just consider what the guy making bricks is thinking as Joseph goes by or the, or the gal who's working in the field. Just think about what they're thinking about this guy. And it's really probably pretty close to often what we think, okay? And, and they're thinking about this and they're thinking, man, he's got it easy right? He must have been just born with a silver spoon. He must have bribed the guy in charge. His dad must have got him this job, right? He had it made his whole life. And I challenge you, because we know Joseph's story, right? 13 years he's been a slave. I challenge you to stop before you judge anyone who is successful from your perspective or anyone who is a failure from your perspective that you have no idea what they've been through. You have no idea what they're going through. No idea. 
You've never really walked in their shoes and you also have no idea what part they're playing in God's story. Okay, so just let it go. This is, this is about God and his story and your role in it, not about what he's doing in everybody else's lives. And so it's amazing if we just stop and step and say, you know what, I really is not really my call to decide those things. It's very freeing. And, and as a matter of fact, what's fascinating about Joseph, and I think this is the key that we so often miss, is Joseph did not become successful here when he became the prime minister of Egypt. He had been successful for years years look back to Genesis chapter 39 verse 1 Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar an Egyptian officer of the Pharaoh the captain of the bodyguard had bought him from the Ishmaelites who were taken down there his brother sold him as a slave okay and the Lord was with Joseph so he became a successful man he's a slave he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him and how the Lord had caused all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he became his personal servant and he made him oversee over his house and he put all that he owned in his charge and it came about from the time that Potiphar made him overseer of his house, everything he owned, the Lord blessed Potiphar's house on the account of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house. Joseph was successful as a slave and then Joseph gets thrown in prison verse 20 his master took him put him in jail the place where the king's prisoners were confined he's there in jail but guess what the Lord was with Joseph he extends kindness to Joseph he gave him favor in the sight of the jailer the jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in jail whatever was done there he was responsible for the chief jailer didn't even supervise anything under Joseph's charge why because the Lord was with him and whatever he did the Lord made to prosper Joseph was successful now we go to verse 41 and and all of a sudden at the it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had this dream and he was standing behind the Nile two full years remember Joseph had had interpreted the cupbearer's dream and he said remember me Joseph had this plan to get out of prison it was tied to the cupbearer remember me when you get out remember me when you get out I don't deserve to be here okay and then Chuck Swindoll calls this God's fast track to the top two full years later thanks God right isn't that how it goes in our life right he come on he's been 13 years as a slave thanks God okay but that's God's track he's not done training Joseph he's teaching Joseph how he can handle the prosperity he's teaching Joseph how he can continue to live focused on the God he's already a success as a slave and as a prisoner and and ultimate success in God's story doesn't have anything to do with pursuing money or power or fame all these things come and go we're called to pursue knowing God he's writing an eternal story and somehow Joseph realized that fact and somehow Joseph looked to Yahweh when he was a slave he looked to Yahweh when he was a prisoner he looked to Yahweh when he was a CEO prime minister of Egypt Joseph's successful in God's eyes and it's obvious to everyone around him that's what's amazing because he's making progress in life and God's storyline is about eternal life sorry it's not about stuff it's about eternal life Jesus said this is eternal life he defined it for us John 17 3 this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent see that's what God's story is about it's about knowing him the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent how you doing in God's story 
Joseph looked forward to God sending a savior. You know, he didn't have the Torah. He didn't even, didn't have the Torah. He didn't have the, didn't have the Old Testament, right? It hadn't even been written. Moses hadn't even come on the scene yet. And Joseph was part of God's story, a significant part, but he just looked to God. And we kind of have the book. We have the scriptures. We can look back. We can see that Jesus claimed that the way to come to the Father was through Christ. We can see that, that he teaches us what life is about. Eternal life is about knowing him. Are you making progress in eternal life? Are you making progress in knowing God? Because it is God's story. And success in his story is about learning to depend on him right now, moment by moment, in your circumstances right now, day by day, highs, lows, thrilling, boring. Doesn't require wealth, fame, power, good health. Many times these things can kind of hinder our success in life because we make life about these things. But you know what? He doesn't exclude these things either. There's nothing wrong with them. Pursue knowing God and stuff comes and goes and it's okay either way. Health comes and goes and it's okay either way. Circumstances change all the time. Sometimes in our story, we think it's so bad, but you know what? It's okay because it's God's story. If we're pursuing knowing him, it's amazing what he teaches us as they change. So Joseph comes, he interprets the dream of the cupbearer and the baker, right? And, he, and he, he tells them a little bit about their role in God's story and the cupbaker is going to be restored to his, or the, the cupbearer is going to be restored to his position, drinking the wine of the, of the, the pharaoh, right? And the baker is going to be hung and the, the birds of the air are going to eat the flesh of, off his body. Nice. And, uh, but that's what's going to happen. And, and that's actually what does happen. And so God uses Joseph to explain that to both of them. And, and I think these dreams as they play out here, um, you know, are, are significant in the life of Joseph. And as I said last time, there's about three times in the Bible where dreams are really significant over about 1,600 years of history. And, and most dreams can be like wishful thinking or kind of subconscious fears or desires. And we have the word of God. So God can certainly speak through dreams, though. I mean, you know, many people in the Middle East and the Far East have come to know Jesus Christ through dreams where Christ appears to them, and they don't have the Word of God. They don't have the Bible, but they have the Word, Jesus Christ, who appears to them. He's not limited. God moves however he wants. So we're going to pick up the story. Now it's been two full years, Genesis 41, right? And, and what happened in those two full years, we don't really know. Probably not a lot. Probably pretty boring, right? I mean, he's in prison. It's not like he's on the edge of excitement every day, probably. And, and realize as we come here that Joseph, he's been in captivity for about 13 years and from the world's perspective, he was a colossal failure, right? Here's this guy who, who was like this favored son. He had the incredible robe, this dream of, of how everyone's gonna bow down to him and here he spent the last 13 years as a slave. He's a loser, okay? That's our perspective if we're writing the story. <coughs> We're thinking, wow, nothing could be a lot worse. There's more things that could be worse, but it's not very good. And if this story was about him, he, he was, he was um, just a failure. But you see, in reality, from our view looking back, when we look at it from God's perspective, he was a success as a slave. He was a success in prison. As a matter of fact, God was moving, and Almighty God has this role for Joseph that's really unfathomable, okay? He was preparing Joseph to deliver the Lord's people from bondage, it's amazing. And the timing now is finally right. You see, if the cupbearer had gotten Joseph released from prison a couple years earlier, he probably would have just headed for home, right? 
Joseph didn't know any better. He wouldn't even been around when Pharaoh has his dream. So now it's God's timing. And so just kind of put yourself in the story and just realize this. God has a great plan for you. Just wait for his timing. He's moving, right? Allow him to show you himself and you'll be amazed. If this is your story, you gotta figure out a way to get out of your circumstances now, right? And, and you gotta figure out, if you're Joseph, how to get out of prison to be the prime minister, which is ridiculous. But that's often what we're doing, okay? We're trying to figure out our plan, work our plan, you know, be positive, think forward, try and work ourselves out of our situation, and we're trying so hard to try and go from prison to prime minister the best we can figure it out. And what's so cool is God does it in one night. Boom. One night. So Pharaoh has this dream. It's in chapter 41, verse 2 through 13. We won't read it, but there's, there's seven fat cows, and they come, and they're eaten by seven skinny cows, and then there's seven plump ears of grain that are eaten by seven thin ears of grain, and the wisest, best-educated people in Egypt could not figure it out, and so the cupbearer then all of a sudden remembers Joseph. Oh, yeah, he, he's the one who God used to, to interpret my dream. And that's really kind of the road to success in God's story. It's waiting. It's a day-to-day -day grind, right? It's suffering. It doesn't fit the American dream. It doesn't fit our cultural view of success, but that's how life comes at us here. It's about depending on the Father moment by moment by moment. That's how the road looks. That's what Joseph learned. And look at his attitude. All of a sudden, as, as he goes before Pharaoh in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and calls for Joseph. They brought him out of the dungeon. He shaved himself, changed his clothes. Now, the Hebrews didn't shave, but he, he was culturally correct. He came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I've had a dream that no one can interpret. And I have heard it said about you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, it's not me. Ha. Huh. What a line. It's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now just put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a minute in his shoes, right? Just think about what would you say to Pharaoh? Here's your chance. You've been 13 years as a slave. Your life has been robbed from you, right? Here's your chance. You're going to rip the cupbearer for keeping you in there for two more years? Idiot standing there. The only reason he's got to go out and drink wine for the last couple of years is because you interpreted his dream, right? Are you going to rip him for that? Are you going to rip Fer or Potiphar or his wife for coming on to you when you're a teenage guy, right? Are you going to be mad at your brothers? Are you going to try and bargain with Pharaoh and say, hey, look, I'll, I'll, I'll just give me a little cash. Let me go free, and I'll tell you what that dream says, okay? You don't read any of that bitterness in Joseph, right? You don't see the resentment in Joseph, and you don't even see it, and he lives to be 110, Okay, he gives glory to God. And he didn't ask for anything. He knew the source was not Pharaoh. The source is Almighty God. Realize that in his story. The source is not you or the people around you. Almighty God is the source. He is the source. And so Joseph comes and he interprets the dream. Really in humility, just depends on his father and and. Well, we'll just read it. Go down over to 25, verse 25. Joseph says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God's told Pharaoh what he's gonna do. And that word God there is Elohim, creator God, okay? This creator God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven good years. The seven good ears are seven years. Their dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears are scorched by the east wind. It will be seven years of famine. So it's as if I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, there's going to be seven years of great abundance that are coming in the land of Egypt. After them are going to come seven years of famine, and all the abundance will be forgotten, and famine's going to ravage, ravage the land. And the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine. It'll be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God's going to quickly bring it about. So then Joseph says, let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise sitting over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land. Let them extract a fifth of the produce of the land in the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store them in grain for food of the cities under Pharaoh's authority and just guard it. And let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur so that the land may not perish during the famine. The proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants, right? And, and what Joseph did was he took this humility and he gave glory to God and he simply shared what God had shared with him. And what's amazing is Pharaoh noticed two real characteristics in Joseph. And Pharaoh says to him in verse 38, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are. See what Pharaoh noticed about Joseph? He was discerning and wise. It means he had the ability and the kind of the insight into a situation. Really what he did is he had the ability to hear from God. He listened to what God said and he was able to share that. And he also saw the spirit of God. That's pretty amazing. Pagan nation, they worship all kinds of God but he sees the spirit of the living God. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people for a task or for a season. But now as believers, when you trust Christ as your Savior, he is with you always. So what do people see in you? What do they see in you? If we were to pull all these people in our lives, what would they see in us? Do they see us as wise, that we trust God, we trust his word? Do they see the fruit of the Spirit through us? the Holy Spirit is with us always that's what they saw in Joseph and honestly I don't think in Joseph's mind he even considered he would be in charge I mean come on would you right he's pursuing God he's not pursuing a promotion he's not looking for money he's a Hebrew slave he doesn't think he's going to be elevated to the number two job in the country and the best he's probably thinking is get me out of prison right I want out of here I want to go home give me my freedom and God does exceedingly abundantly more than we can even ask or imagine. And your story is like Joseph's. It's God's story. And the road to success, he designs it. We rarely get to choose the path that changes. We can just choose to surrender and trust him. And the attitude on the path really is humility. And so look at kind of this hidden truth of success. You go on to verse 40, and he says, you're going to be over my house, According to your command, all the people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh takes off his signet ring. That's like giving him the corporate uh, credit card with no limit, okay? 
And he takes it off his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and he clothes him in garments of fine linen and he puts a gold necklace on him and he has him ride around in, in his second chariot and he proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he sets him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I'm Pharaoh, without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or his foot in the land of Egypt. No one. And you see, so Joe, he gets the Mercedes. He gets the private jet. He gets the corporate card. He gets to do everything he wants in this country, whatever he wants. And he's lifted above all the people of the land. It, it's, it's unfathomable, right? I mean, it's just crazy to think about that. And it happens in a day. And what's amazing to me is Joseph did the same things in Pharaoh's palace as he did in Potiphar's house, as he did as a slave, as he did in prison. His focus was on his heavenly father. Success is a journey about knowing God, surrendering to him moment by moment. So as we kind of land this thing, just apply it to your life. Just think about, would you be willing to go through what Joseph went through if you could get what he got? Right? 17 years old, slave for 13 years, 80 years he was a leader. Would you be willing to pay the price for that? Can you pay the price for that? Just imagine if our country was invaded right now and became a slave to Iraq or to China or to India or to wherever, right? And you're going to be a slave for the next 13 years. Would you really trust that God would come through at the end of those 13 years? That's a long time to, to give away. But Joseph didn't have any choice about his circumstances. He was part of God's story. It was a significant part, but he was part. And here's what I think the grand deception is in our lives that we have bought into. We think the story is all about us. Right? And so we're striving for success. And God has chosen to use you right here, right now. This is your sentence in the novel. And just don't miss this, okay? Just, just catch this. What God did for Joseph in taking him from being a slave to being a prime minister is a picture of what he has done for you, Christian. You see, you were a slave in bondage to sin, deserving of death, separate from God, no freedom, nowhere to go. And because of Jesus Christ dying and raising from the grave and your faith in Christ, you're transformed to this position of trust in the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, you get to reign with Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, you're forgiven. All of a sudden, you're made a son of Almighty God. You're a child of the King. That's what God did for you. And you know what? Success does happen in an instant. Because in an instant, when Christ comes into your life, you're transformed. Everything changes. But the journey just begins, and it's going to continue on throughout eternity of getting to know God. He's an infinite God. We'll never get to completely know God, but we'll continue on this incredible journey of getting to know him. So just stop and consider you have been given your one break that can turn your life around. It comes from faith in Christ. He paid the price for you to have it all. What are you aiming for? What are you shooting for? Are you just living that out? Or are you still trying to make your own story? You know, years ago, I was probably in my 30s, and I was pursuing <laughs> my glory and my stuff, and I still do a lot of days. 
But uh, I was struggling with what's my purpose. So I'm studying the word. I'm just crying to God. God, what is it you want me to do? I don't want to look back on my life and regret what I've done. What is it, you know, you want me to do? And I thought it was some job or ministry or change my life. I didn't know what it was. I was just so frustrated. And, and I, I came to this conclusion. I studied scripture and even seeing it in Ezra's life and a lot of places through scripture. And I came to this conclusion that I thought was so cool, so unique. And it was like, I just want to know God. And I want to make him known. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. That's, that's my purpose. And what's funny is I'm driving back into town and I'm going through Sturgis and it's right on the wall of a church there. <laughs> to know God and make him known, right? It's not unique. <laughs> it's, not, it's not mine. But it is mine. And it's what I've held on to for the last, I don't know how many years, <laughs> decades. That really my aim, my purpose, my desire is to know God and make him known. And you know what? Stuff in the world comes and goes all the time. Right? We go through adversity, we go through prosperity. Been healthy most of my life, now I have cancer. Times we haven't had anything, times we've had lots of stuff. But through the process of realizing it's God's story and pursuing Him, there's an incredible freedom that's hard to describe. But it's like this journey that never ends. And so that's really my challenge for you is, is to stop and consider what you're aiming for. Look, pursuing God, knowing him, and making him known doesn't mean we have to give up the things we love in this world. They just don't compete with God. You don't have to give up your basketball or your skiing or your sports or your education or your jobs or your careers or your relationships. Very few things we really have to give up, okay? As we pursue God to know him and make him known, it's amazing how he just blesses us with all these things we love. He knows the desires of your heart better than you do. And it's his story. And he knows exactly your role in his story. He's gonna put you exactly in that position to bring the most glory to him. And so really my desire as you close and as you leave is that when you think of Joseph and you think, wow, slave, prime minister, you think, that's my story. That's what God has done for me. Father, we just thank you that, that you've done that for us. That you have taken us from sin and death and bondage and discouragement and allowed us to be your kids. You've given us eternal life, the chance to know you. You've given us a relationship with you through Christ. You've given us a future and a hope. You've, you've given us the opportunity to reign with Christ ultimately. You've given us this chance to get to continue to know the ultimate creator whose story this is forever. And so God, I pray that we would just walk out of here surrendered to you and that you would use us just mightily in our little sentence in your novel for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Amen. Hey, would you guys stand with me? We're going to actually just recite some words to a well-known song. And before we start this, I want to remind you about the spaghetti dinner down in the basement. I just had some. It was excellent. And they have salads, too, and sweets if you want it. But back to what we're talking about. There's this song called Blessed Be Your Name. And here are the words. Let's read them together. Commit this to the Lord. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. And blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, 
Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Don't forget the spaghetti.